Hi, and welcome back to the Grindhouse Girls podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Katie. My co-host is Brittany, and this is a podcast about many strange and spoopy movies. We cover a lot of independent movies and a lot of horror movies, and we do want to caution before starting the podcast that listener discretion is advised, and a lot of subject matter we cover is not appropriate for children and can be quite sensitive. So if that sounds like something that's up your alley, keep on listening. If not, thanks for stopping by and on to the podcast. Hey there, this is Katie. And hi there, I am Brittany. And this is the Grindhouse Girls podcast. GGP. (laughs) And this is episode 58, I want to say. That does sound right. Yeah. Yeah. This week... We are doing Jennifer's Body from 2009, written by Diablo Cody and directed by Karen Kusama, and um, starring Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. And this is one of those movies that has kind of found a resurgence in pop culture recently. Um, It's been touted for having a very honest and open portrayal of, like, sexuality and Mm -hmm. puberty and um bisexuality in particular and um i'm excited because this is a movie that the marketing kind of failed if you hear barking by the way that is gizmo i'm about to go check on him um i hear him barking um this is a movie that the marketing kind of failed this movie and even though it was a commercial success uh critically it got really panned and it was presented as a very like stupid high school horror movie and i know i kind of avoided this movie for years and then when i finally saw it i was surprised about how much substance was in this movie but i think Brittany, you saw it when we were much you when it came out right yeah i did saw it when uh we came out just because um when i was younger i i went well i went to the movies that's still something i do pretty regularly but this movie uh panic at the disco actually wrote the song new perspective for this movie the music video is like two of the band members are walking down the school of high school and this center cut with scenes from this movie and this movie does have a very alternative rock like fueled by ramen soundtrack which if you grew up as a mm-hmm. emo kid in the 2000s that's kind of what your jam was um but yeah i thought this movie was hilarious um when it came out but like katie uh said it is wild uh absolutely fucking wild <laughs> Uh, to look back at this movie because um, if you were to see the trailer for this film, um, uh, there is a very if, there's a very famous kissing that happens in the middle that took up like literally fifteen percent of the original trailer. Now think about a two minute yes. trailer. Yeah. Also, apparently the original trailer had zero Amanda Seyfried in it, and she's the narrator for the entire film. And it's yeah. not like she's a, a disembodied narrator; she's the narrator and a basically the protagonist even though may like jennifer's also the the, it's kind of like a dual protagonist kind of era i would say almost like a brad pitt edward norton fight club like they both are kind of the main character even though like needy's telling the story but jennifer is a pretty big part of it obviously because a lot of the action's happening with her when diablo cody wrote this very articulate like defense of the movie and its feminist perspective and like this is how i was picturing the marketing being what's your picture of the marketing like one of the executives was like 
Megan Fox hot, and that was all they wrote. Yeah. And she was just like, oh, okay. So it was, like, really, really um, interesting about this, too, was um, uh, Diablo Cody had wrote this movie, and when she wrote this movie, um, she really wanted to reach a wider audience. So they were kind of aiming for both men and women, and uh, definitely women and younger women, um, and so they had test screenings, and the way the test screenings had gone was that um, Diablo Cody had just came off of winning the Oscar uh, for uh, Best Original Screenplay for Juno in 2007. So she got she had already written this screenplay as well, and they were allowed she was allowed to do this because she had won the Oscar. And they decided when they filled the movie, they were going to do some test screenings. So they literally divvied up the test screening audience between young men and Juno fans. And literally one of the notes they got from the initial test screening was more boobs. Um, so it's sad how wildly this movie was filled. And this is actually a very woman power movie. Um, it's of course directed by a woman. It's uh, written by a woman and it stars uh, two very, very uh, promising young actresses. Um, so it's just kind of sad to see, uh, how it was felt and what it could have been because it is definitely a very, very feminist movie. Um, and yeah, and I do want to say that there is a great resurgence. I love that there's this resurgence because I feel like this movie is finally being talked about the way it should have been talked about, um, 11 years ago now. So, yes. I love that you said the more boobs thing. I was laughing, but I had to go check on Gizmo, so you probably couldn't hear me laughing because I uh-uh. wasn't near the microphone. Um, luckily, I have earbuds on, so like I can walk around and still hear you. <laughs> but um, yeah, yeah, I agree. Yes, it's very interesting, and like I feel like I fell for their marketing because I thought this is a frat boy movie. It's just hot Megan Fox. I don't want to watch that movie because like I didn't want to see just a sex movie for yeah. frat boys. I was like. I don't want to waste my time on that. And then, like, when I watched it, I was like, oh, my God. If I had seen this as a high schooler, like, I would have loved it. Or I I don't know if I was in high school. I guess I was in college at this point. I was like, I think I actually would have really liked it. And it bothers me that the marketing team fucked it up so badly. Um, So before we completely get into any – we've already gotten into it. But (laughs) let's talk about – I did have a little bit of housekeeping, unfortunately, because I'm an idiot – no, you're, uh, you're not an idiot. But <laughs> a little bit, but it's okay. Just, no no more than everyone else, I guess. Um, so let's see. So I accidentally, last week when talking about this movie, I said that Adrian Brody was in this movie. I meant Adam Brody, who is indeed in this movie. <laughs> and I was like the OC guy. Like, I just was like thumbs upping. So I, I, I would have fucked yeah. that up too. So, so oops. <laughs> Oopsie poopsie. Also... I said when I was caring for Mean Girls that I wore a skanky black dress. By skanky, I meant, like, it was, like, a trashy, cheap black dress. I wasn't trying to, like, besmirch wearing something sexy. Um, but it was really, 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 like, cheap. Also, um, I feel like I had to cut this out for time. But we started talking about the Alexander Hamilton Drunk History episode. Oh, yeah, I watched that, Aaliyah too. And Shawcott plays Hamilton, and Aubrey Plaza plays Burr. Burr. Uh, Aaron Burr. Burr? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, but I was just like, I was like, oh, it's Aaliyah Shawcat. I love her. Um, but we may have actually had to cut that for time, because we, we talked a lot about Stranger by the Lake, 
because there yeah. was a lot of stuff to talk about. Um, did you watch anything cool this week? I actually, um, as you you know, Katie, it was my birthday weekend, and um, I am like a it child. Was! I'm like a child, so I actually did not. The only thing I watched because I pretty much planned my birthday, did my birthday, and then uh, watched this mm-hmm. movie it was very and fun. Did my nose. Yes, yes, I I had a good time. I had a great time. I I love my friends and my family, and I appreciate them going above and beyond for me. Katie made a beautiful Fight Club cake, which we're probably gonna have to put um, Instagram pictures up on our story, um, so people can enjoy it. Um, yeah, I think you- I put one up of you and the cake. Uh-huh. I don't know if people could see the details. I think Taylor took better pictures of it than me, so he needs to share those. Yeah, we'll um, have to share so those. Uh, the only thing I actually but... got to watch, and Katie, you're probably going to laugh. Um, I did see the season five premiere, Rick and Morty. So, <laughs> Oh, my God. I haven't watched it yet. That's the one um, thing I did watch. So, I had someone at work asking me. They were like, they were surprised I watched, I I have watched Rick and Morty. And I was like, honestly, I haven't kept it the last couple seasons. But yeah, the first like three seasons, I watched all of them and I really liked them. But yeah, I finally, so I caught up with what you had watched the weekend before. <laughs> because I'd already seen Jennifer's Body before. So I've watched, I watched it, of course. I actually watched it a couple times, even though I've already seen it before. Um, but I ended up um, catching up on The Conjuring 3 while I was baking your birthday cake. Um... <laughs> It kind of disappointed, but the the acting from Patrick Wilson and Vera Farmiga is always good, and I think the supporting cast, the acting was really good. It's just like the story. I've read the true crime, the real story, and it is very interesting. But I didn't. It wasn't very scary to me. I started laughing at some of the scary parts, which is surprising for me. Um, and I did finally watch In the Heights, and I really, 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 really liked it. Um, I do agree with you. Vanessa, I think the girl who played Vanessa was really good, but she seems so much younger mm-hmm. and like naive than the Vanessa that Karen Olivo presented in the original Broadway cast. So I was like, I just, it was a very different character. And I think that was a lot of times before because of her voice. Because her voice is very airy. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of like when Brandy played Cinderella. Like, I'd heard really strong people with stronger singing voices do it. Not that Brandy has a weak singing voice, but she's always been kind of an airy singer. That's always been kind of her thing. Mariah Carey's kind of like that, too. And it's pretty, but it's, yeah. it's not like, there's not a lot of depth to it. Um, And that's not a bad thing. I'm just, like, just it's just how you sing. That's all cool. It's all it resonates. But, like, when Brandy played Cinderella, she, like, was very gentle. It kind of worked for Cinderella because Cinderella is an ingenue. She's, like, the typical ingenue character because she's just, like, innocent and doesn't know what she's doing. Um, Which Vanessa is, like, the more worldly person (laughs) compared to Usnavi because Usnavi's kind of, like, a dork. So I, I think Vanessa, I don't think she did a bad job. I just think, like, it was a very different Vanessa than I expected. I like that. Is it Daphne Rubin Vega, who played Daniela, was the original Mimi in Rent, and she wasn't able to play Mimi in the movie because she was having a baby when they were filming it. That's why Rosario Dawson played Mimi. Um, so it was nice to see her in a movie because yeah. she does have still have a really good voice. And I was like, yay! It's so nice to see Mimi in something. And um, I think the what is the main what is who is the guy that plays? Um, 
Usnavi's Good. name. I'm blanking on his name. Oh, Anthony Ramos. Anthony Ramos. I really like him. I think he did. A, he was a perfect Usnavi, and I I commend um, uh, Lin Manuel Miranda for age appropriate casting. I think he was great as the Paragua guy, and I also liked the uh, Christopher Jackson cameo in the ice cream truck. I was like, Mr. Ah, it's Christopher Jackson. Yeah, Mr. Softy. And then um, I also, um, I thought, the only thing I thought didn't really work were the kids on the beach. Like, it kind of worked at the end, but I was like, why are there children here the whole time? I thought that was a little unnecessary, but I guess they were trying to frame it since it was, like, a theatrical thing. I was like, eh, because I guess, to me, because I've seen the show, I get that we're in Usnavi's head, and that's why he's rapping, and he's talking to us, the audience. But I guess they were like, well, we can't just have him talk to the camera. So I guess he has to be talking to children. And it was cute that it, spoilers, ended up being his daughter, which I saw that coming. But I Me was too. like, that's adorable. Cute. I didn't actually see the beach turning into the shop, though. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's sweet. I, I, I did cry a little bit. I cried when, the, when Abuela sang her song. And I cried. Like at the end, I was like, "Oh my god!" Like it was, my mom did it too. It was really sweet. And then I also started watching, rewatching New Girl, which I hadn't seen in such a long time. And there's a show our friend Peter said was cool called Sweet Home, and it's like a Korean film. It's like people get stuck in an apartment building, and there's like a zombie apocalypse. And I started watching that. It's it's cool. Like, the zombies, like, they use a lot of cool, like, neon lighting, so it looks really cool. It's not like most zombie movies, like Walking Dead, where everything's, like, gray. Yeah. So that's kind of cool, but I haven't watched all of it. And this is not a movie, but have you heard the song Silver Springs by Fleetwood Mac? It's, yes, I am familiar with that one. I can't sing it, but I've heard it before. Okay, so... Uh, I, I'm not going to explain the complexities of the relationships in the band Fleetwood Mac, but if you have not seen, and this TikTok started this, the videos of the live performances of oh, Fleetwood yeah. Mac performing uh, The Chain yes, and Silver Springs and the looks that Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks give each other. Um, oh my God. It is like so palpable. The anger and frustration, because if you didn't know, they both were in a relationship when they came to Fleetwood Mac, things happened, and they're still performing 30 years later, 50 years later, but then they sing these songs about their breakup to each other on stage, and it is, like, the best thing to watch. Also, really, Silver Springs is like, damn, girl, I love Stevie Nicks. I just really want to be in a Fleetwood Mac cover band. And sing all of Stevie Nicks' music. Um, I've just discovered that thanks to the band I used to sing with that used to get me to sing Stevie Nicks stuff. I'm like, she's fucking awesome. She um, is. I think Gizmo needs to pee. Do you go outside? No? Do you go outside? Okay, I have to go take him to pee real quick. And okay, then we'll get good. into the movie. Yeah, so um, while Katie is taking Gizmo for a bathroom break, um, we're just going to go into a quick reminder about um, some of our leading players in this movie. Um, so Karen Kusama, again, um, she is the director. She did Girl Fly, Aeon Flux, The Invitation, which, uh, so this is our second Karen Kusama film on the podcast. 
and Destroyer. Um, she was initially inspired to make films um, largely centered around women because she loved the movies Fast Time at Ridgemont High as well as Valley Girls. So she's always uh, been kind of more of a feminist writer. Um, she usually does movies with strong female characters. Um, it was written by Diablo Cody, who first came into recognition with her memoir, Candy Girl, A Year in the Life of an Unlikely Stripper. And from there, she wrote Juno, which is what she kind of was her breakout movie. Uh, once again, won the Academy Award for Best Original Screenplay for Juno. Uh, Juno. Uh, she wrote the film Young Adult, which had Charlie's Theorem, um, which is Charlie's Theorem. Theorem is an amazing actress, but uh, Young Adult was very uh, painful for me to watch because I get secondhand embarrassment, but still a good movie. She did Ricky and the Flash and Tully. Um, something interesting, um, Megan Fox um, identifies as bisexual, so does Charlie's Theron. Um, this movie, as we'll get into, is touted as a very... Um, a, a a very strong bisexual film. Uh, Tully is a bisexual film. I think that's really, really cool. Um, she also is known for producing and creating the show The United States of Tara, which has uh, Tony Collette. Uh, we love Tony Collette on the podcast. And she was nominated for a Tony Award for Best Book of a Musical for Jagged Little Pill, which is, of course, um, the Alanis Morissette musical um, that was written around the album Jagged Little Pill, which is a huge album. It's the one that has You Ought to Know, Hand in My Pocket, um, quite a few other uh, major singles, so a huge album. Um, of course, we have Megan Fox as our lead female protagonist, Jennifer Check. Or actually, I would say her and Amanda Seyfried share uh, the protagonist role. Maybe she's more antagonist, technically. But Megan Fox as Jennifer Check, um, who, of course, her breakout role was in Transformers. Um, she was also in the movie Jonah Hex, which was a flop. Um, Friends with Kids. She was April O'Neil in the remake or reboots of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And she was Reagan Lucas on two seasons of New Girl. Um, she, um, she's a very interesting woman. I, um, I've learned a lot more about her, um, by studying for this movie. Um, and, um, she's fascinating and I'm sure Katie will get more into, um, Megan Fox as we progress. We have Miss Amanda Seyfried as Needy. Uh, Needy is the lead character and the narrator of this movie. She's Jennifer's best friend since childhood. She, of course, was Karen in Mean Girls. She was in Veronica Mars. She's in Mamma Mia. Uh, more recently, The Art of Racing in the Rain, which is actually based on one of my favorite books, uh, Les Miserables. She was in Mink, which, of course, we absolutely hated Mink, but she was nominated for Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for Mink. Recently, it was in Scoop as Daphne Blank. Uh, and, of course, something interesting about Miss Seyfried, she has OCD, anxiety, and panic attacks. Um, and she actually was not able to do live theater performances until the last couple of years because she worked her entire life to kind of get over these things. Um, we have Johnny Simmons as our kind of secondary uh, male character, Chip Dove. Uh, what I know him as is Young Dill, uh, Young Neil and Scott Pilgrim uh, versus the world. I love Scott Pilgrim. He's also in Brad, uh, also Brad in The Perks of Being a Wallflower. I love The Perks of Being a Wallflower. He was Andrew Naiman in Whiplash, another great movie, uh, The Stanford Person Experiment, and Late Bloomer. 
Uh, we got J.K. Simmons as uh, Mr. Wobolski. Um, I'm probably butchering that, but he's their teacher who has the hook as a hand. Um, he, of course, what I first knew him as was Juno's dad in Juno, um, but he was also Vermin on HBO's Oz. He was uh, Jane Jonah Jameson in the Spider-Man trilogy, also like the head of the newspaper, essentially, where Peter Parker works at. Uh, Fletcher and Whiplash, he actually won the... Um, Academy Award for acting in Whiplash. That's probably one of his best-known parts. He's a phenomenal in that movie. Uh, he was Tenzin in The Legend of Korra, uh, which is the Avatar sequel. Um, and he also was Stanford Primes in Gravity's Falls. And most recently, Omni-Man and Invisible. But we've known him as ch- since childhood as the voice of the yellow M&M in the M&M commercials. So, yes. Yes. I'm back. Sorry. I don't know. Could you hear me at all while I was I could not. running around? <laughs> I could okay. not. That's why I just went, I just did the rundown because I was like, Good. I don't know if Katie can hear me, but I, I, I can't hear her. So so our next couple characters um, are Adam, not Adrian Brody, who plays Nikolai, who is the lead singer of the band Low Shoulder and one of Jennifer's mm, assaulters, I think we'll say. Um, yeah. Brody starred as Dave Rakowski, Rakowski, I can't remember his last name, Dave in Gilmore Girls, who was also a band member, but I believe he was the guitar player, or the bass, no, he was the bass player for Hep Alien in Gilmore Girls, and he was Lane's first real boyfriend, or second real boyfriend, because she dated another boy her mom approved of, but she really loved Dave, and Dave even pretended to be a Christian guitarist to impress her Christian mom. And played like I can't remember. What, I think it was like Easter or something. He played like hymns so he could hang out with, um, or it was Thanksgiving so he could hang out with Lane. So I always liked Adam Brody as Dave in Gilmore Girls, but then he left Gilmore Girls to be on the OC as Seth on the OC. Um, he's also been in Thank You for Smoking, Scream Four, Love Lace with Amanda Seyfried, um, which is about l- the actress uh, Love Lace. Um, Ready or Not, which was really good. Sh- Apparently he's in Shazam, which I still haven't watched Shazam, but I've heard really good things about it. And he was in Promising Young Woman recently, which mm-hmm. that was cool to see him. And then uh, we also have Kyle Gallner as Colin Gray, who's kind of like the emo kid of the high school. And um, he's Needy's friend from creative writing class. Um, he was also in Veronica Mars with Amanda Seyfried. Um, did you already mention... Veronica Mars for Amanda? I I think I did. I want to say I did, because I had it written down. So she played Lily, if we didn't already say it, but you probably Mm -hmm. did. She played Lily in Veronica Mars, which is, and she also did a lot of, um, she was on As the World Turns for like three years, too. But I think that's where most people got to know her, was on that and Mean Girls. And then he was also another character on Veronica Mars, and he's in a lot of TV, um, but he's also been in The Haunting in Connecticut, A Nightmare on Elm Street, and Red State. Um, I know I recognize him as the guy from um, uh, from Veronica Mars. I was like, I know that face. It's that kid from Veronica Mars. And then I think you want to mention one other character who is oh, yeah, one of we my got... favorite character actresses. Oh, yes. We love Amy Sedaris. So she plays Needy's yeah. mother, uh, Tony, which I think is funny because they also mentioned how Tony's considered an ugly name. 
And it's, I, yeah, so I think that's interesting. Um, but she's PC and BoJack Horseman. And anyone knows me and knows I love BoJack Horseman. PC's my queen. Um, she was also Mimi Princess in the Carolyn, Unbreakable. if you haven't seen. Yes, Princess PC, Princess Carolyn. Um, she's also Mimi in the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. I forgot that she was Deb and Elf. So she is uh, Walter's secretary and Elf. I completely... So <laughs> Yeah, I forgot she was an elf as well, and I saw that on her IMDb. I was like, who is she an elf? I barely remember that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you're right. I remember that now. Um, she also um, was in Strangers with Candy. She's recently been in The Mandalorian as a, as a recurring character, which I was really happy. She looks totally unrecognizable because she plays like a mechanic. And like so she has like dirt all over her all the time. So I was like, oh, it's Amy Sedaris. Kind of on the Mandalorian and there's this really weird adult swim show it's a live action show it also has Patton Oswalt in it about this hillbilly town and it's called the heart she holler and she's one of the characters in that it's very strange um but um if you like really weird like Tim and Eric kind of comedy I would suggest it um I watched it by force and she's very good in it and so is Patton Oswalt Yes, and we Sorry. have just one more character, which I don't think we need to say anything about him because I think everyone knows who he is. And we have Chris Pratt, a young Chris Pratt as Officer Ugh. Roma Duda. Roma Duda. Sorry, Duda? Duda? Yeah. He's in a very small part, um, but I did not know who was in this movie the first time I saw it. So watching it now and being like, oh my god, it's Chris Pratt was just like the funniest thing. I was just like, what the fuck is Chris Pratt doing in this movie? Um, this was when... Uh, this was when he was, like, only getting bit parts, and now he's, like, a superstar, so. Yes, um, superstar. So, I guess, uh, do we want to get into the plot, or do we want to discuss the marketing mayhem we, first? We can what go ahead and, dis- yeah, let's go ahead and talk a little bit about the marketing, because then it can probably give more insight to, uh, what's going on in the plot, too. Okay, so... Um, I did a lot of research on the marketing because, like I said, I was kind of led astray by it. So I was curious, like, was I an idiot or was it purposeful? And um, there's a really great interview with Diablo Cody and Megan Fox, and they're kind of interviewing each other about Jennifer's body for the 10-year anniversary, which was in 2019. And mm-hmm. basically, um, this movie <laughs> – oh, my God. Oh, it's Entertainment Tonight, by the way, is the YouTube channel that has it it's entertainment tonight's youtube channel let's see so diablo cody if you did did you kind of go with her backstory about like what she did before she became a writer yeah stripper interesting yeah. yes mm-hmm. but she was she used to work for like corporate america quit her day job to become a stripper and then wrote a book about it um her name is not her legal name diablo cody is a ma- name she made up and um she kind of always saw herself her real name is Brooke and um she kind of saw herself as two alter egos which is interesting if you know her work um because in this movie she kind of has Needy as her personal alter ego and Jennifer's kind of like the persona that she presented to the world especially when she was stripping like a very confident wonderful cool girl But, like, she's really internally, like, needy, which I think is interesting that she sees herself in both these characters. Um, So, it comes from a very personal place. 
And I think you can see a lot of her work, especially like United States of Terror is about someone with dissociative identity disorder starring Tony Collette and, and Brie Larson and John Corbett. Yep. And, um, you know, because she is such a feminist, it is very interesting. Well, obviously they decided not to go that way with the movie. <sighs> One of the biggest disappointments I had with this movie is the handling of Jennifer's body and the sexualization of not just Megan Fox, um, but the relationship between her two characters. Like we already said, they already used one scene of them kissing to be like the entire marketing. And the other thing with Megan Fox is Megan told Diablo Cody in this really good interview, which I highly encourage you to watch about the fact that like when she was 15 years old, did you already tell this story when I was gone? Mm-hmm. Mm-mm. Okay. So when Megan Fox is 15, just turned 15, so like a, a ninth grader, she was an extra in Bad Boys 2, and Michael Bay was directing. This is before Transformers. She, they put her in a Stars and Stripes bikini and a red cowboy hat, and so very scanty clad. And they said, Michael, she is a minor so she can't be holding a drink at this bar scene and she can't be sitting at the bar so she told the story on jimmy kimmel expecting people to be like oh that's it's awful what he did but apparently jimmy kimmel's apparently allegedly kind of gross because he was just like oh that's hot because they put her under a waterfall yeah so she could also be wet you know i knew where you were going with that the only reason I knew where you were going with that because I saw her IMBD credit was Girl Under Waterfall in Bad Boys 2. But I didn't yeah. realize she was so, only 15 at the time. Yeah, she's 15 years old. So here's that's the thing I get with Megan Fox is that Megan is very grateful to Michael Bay and she said some rude things about him, but she's kind of taken him back because she does think, like, you know, he did give me a career. But the thing is, she's been sexualized. So this... Basically, she was in the Transformers movies, and basically her acting directions were, well, the movie's really loud, so just bend over and look hot. So she didn't really have to try very hard. She said this movie was one of the scariest things she'd ever had to do because it's not like there's a bunch of noise distracting you. So, like, if you mess up the movie, it's going to be very obvious. Oh, you okay, Bubba? Um, so, instead of, like, taking this movie about two women and the complexities of a female relationship, um... They just were like, Megan Fox is hot, and let's just talk about her eating boys and her making out with her best friend. Which I think is really weird because, you know, they do share kind of a steamy kiss scene. It's like a two-minute long kiss. But there's no shame or disgust about it. There's there's not a case of the not gays. They don't even, like, talk about, like, ooh, what the... Like, Needy goes, oh, what the fuck? But it's more of just, like, why are you trying to distract me from this... <laughs> You know, it, with kissing, when we need to talk about what's going on in the town. Um, so, I, I think it's really sad because this movie, which is a rare thing, especially in 2009, you know, tro- treated the moment as an acknowledgement that most people's sexuality is fluid. And just because you're sexually attracted to the opposite sex doesn't mean you are never attracted to the same sex. Um, and I think that's a big thing because Megan Fox herself is bisexual. So I do find that it's just disgusting that they took this one scene and just sexed it up and sexed it up. And the movie actually, criti- like, critically was panned, but commercially was a success. 
Um, it made like $31 million against a $16 million budget. So it, it unfortunately was a success, but it drove almost everybody involved in the movie to take a break from Hollywood because Megan Fox was disheartened by it. Amanda Seyfried was disheartened. I don't think Amanda Seyfried stopped as much, but you know, they've all said that this was like their favorite movie to work on. Yeah. And they all felt that their creative control was taken away due to the marketing. Um, and Kusama took a break. Diablo Cody walked away from writing and like literally she says, if this movie hadn't failed, I don't know if I would be the same mom I am because I literally got pregnant. She was already married, but she got pregnant almost to distract herself from the horrible experience that she had had. Like she decided to throw herself into becoming a mom. Um, so it's just like, it's to me, it's like so sad that this film that stems from two to four, depending if you count the actors, feminist creatives, and it's like this marketed as this big frat boy sexcapade. And I don't know if you guys have seen, there's a lot of videos of Megan Fox being interviewed by especially male interviewers and paparazzi, and they're just absolutely disgusting to her. And they're like, oh my god, every man's like in love with you, Megan Fox. And she's just always like, ah, you're silly. And they're like, ah, I love you. And it's so fucking disgusting. And I just feel bad for Megan Fox. And I feel bad that I used to put her in that box of, you know, hot girl who can't really act kind of thing. Like, she's just there to be hot. Because that's what I thought. Because that's how they marketed her. And then when I finally saw her movies, especially Jennifer's Body, I was like, you know what? She's actually got some decent acting chops. Like, there are scenes in this movie where, like, she is, like, emoting the shit out of it. She is feeling some real stuff. Yeah. Um, Especially, which I won't do any spoilers, but there's a mirror scene where she's putting on makeup. Yeah. And she's just, it's very hard to watch. And there's a waterfall scene that's very, like, very emotional. And she's doing such a good job. Um, It just makes me upset that, like, the marketing team fucked it up so badly that all of these people just had to kind of take a break. And I mean, a lot of them kept working, but I think all of them like had to step away from the movie. And it's almost a good thing that the movies had a resurgence in modern times because now they can tell people what happened. They can say, yeah, this movie got fucked over by marketing. And I think we're in a better place now. Um, and I do think it's like, uh, uh, Karen Kasuma um, Kusama. I keep saying Kus- Kusama. Karen uh, Kusama says she takes it as a learning experience um, because she learned that she always had to have creative control after this and Aeon Flux. Because Aeon Flux, she also, like, didn't really get to have the final say on stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't know. That's It's just, I don't know. Do you have anything... To add to that, yeah. I feel like I've been talking a lot. I just no, got you're really good. passionate from listening to all you're their interviews. You're um, good. You probably read this too, which I thought was really sad. Another thing they wanted to do for the marketing for this movie was have Megan talk to amateur porn sites and have them interview her. Ew, no. Yeah. In all my research, I didn't hear that. Yeah, and uh, Karen was just like, you can't do that to her. Like, it's going to absolutely crush her. Um, there is a lake scene where um, Jennifer swimming naked. They had Megan Fox in a new oh, swimsuit. Yeah, they had camera drones go in to try to get naked shots of her. Um, that was very, very traumatizing to her because 
I think we have this idea of Megan Fox sexualized. Um, but at that point in her career, she's never she had never been nude on film. And I still think that's not something she has ever done. I don't think she's ever been completely nude in the movie. And so... Um, not they, that I can th- remember. It feels like a, Hollywood did take a lot of things from her. And they tried to take even more from her. Um, and she did have this very... She's considered a sex symbol because she's an absolutely gorgeous woman. Like, I mean, if you look at her, she she's is. so beautiful. She's so beautiful. It's almost yeah, unreal looking. Yeah, yeah, Diablo Cody said the reason that she was always their Jennifer in mind was that she almost has this mystique, almost like old Hollywood kind mm-hmm. of mystique that most modern actors don't. And I think that's very true. She has this very different um, beauty. And uh, she's very, she does have a mystique. I don't know. She's just kind of like alluring. But not in like a, not even like a, in a sexual way, but she's just like, she's, grabs your attention yeah she looks very she's got like that dark hair and like pale skin and these really beautiful eyes and it's just like she's fucking gorgeous i feel like people objectify her because she is so pretty but just because you're pretty doesn't mean you're stupid yeah or that you're a sexual like you're promiscuous and what I love about this movie, too, is that, and I did actually watch an interview with Megan that was just taken, like, a year ago, and they asked her, the lady in the interview asked her what her favorite role was, and without even remote hesitation, she's like, oh, Jennifer Check and Jennifer's body. And um, mm-hmm. Amanda Seyfried said she loved this role because Jen, um, Megan Fox had this role as Jennifer where she was allowed to be beautiful but she was allowed to have substance she was allowed to be fun she was allowed to emote in certain mm-hmm. scenes and so it was fun but it was also challenging and the great thing about amanda seafree is amanda seafree is also an absolutely gorgeous woman but she as needy she was allowed to be plainer and so she didn't have to really worry about what she looked like in scene from scene yes so which is so important as an actor because i do feel like when i was a very young actor and one of my teachers points out to me, all I thought about was, like, how do I look? Because it's so much about, like, how you look as yeah. a female. But when you stop thinking about that is when you have great performances. And so. Exactly. And so, I, I mean. I think that that gave her a freedom almost. Yeah, I think it and, actually did. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Gizmo's being really naughty. He keeps sitting on my lap and then getting off and then trying to chew my bookcase. And I guess as we get into the plot, we'll get into some of the LGBT things because this is um, um, our our new friend Hudson. Um, when we were um, talking to him, like, hey, how do we pick LGBT movies for Pride that aren't offensive, that are loved by the community? And Katie had actually brought up doing Jennifer's Body, and he reaffirmed the idea that Jennifer's Body uh, was a move was would be a good choice. Um, I, the reason I actually read the script is because I've read. That originally in the script, Jennifer and Needy were supposed to have a sex scene versus a makeout scene. Oh, really? Yes. Did and s- spoiler alert, no, that is not in the script. The kiss scene is not in the script. But there is a lot of um, a lot of descriptors where Needy is holding Jennifer like a lover. Um, there's a lot of hints in the script, but it's not as blatant in the film. So I do feel like yeah. there is some hints in the in the script, but I feel like the actresses definitely notched that up in their portrayals of the characters. So we open up 
Um, our our lead protagonist, our narrator, Needy, is institutionalized. Um, she, uh, I, I love this actual scene because she has like all kinds of fans and stuff. And at this point, we still don't know what the hell um, she did. Which I will say in the script, it actually opens with the scene we see at the end. So, but we won't spoil that yet. Um, but she kicks a yeah. nutrition, yeah, she kicks a nutritionist. Um, and because of that, and this is very interesting because the first time I watched it, I was like, how the hell did that small ass girl kick this nutritionist across the room? But that gets explained later too. Um, but she's very yeah. strong. Um, and she's thrown into the hole where she narrates the events of three months prior and how they got there. Um, they lived in this mm-hmm. very small town named Devil's Kettle, which is named after a waterfall where things disappear. Um, so which is a real friend- waterfall. Yeah. It's a real waterfall in Minnesota. And, but it, the town's not real. But they did kind of figure out what happens. But it's this waterfall where there's a waterfall and there's a pothole at the end. And it sucks things into the pothole and they seemingly disappear. But in 2016, they did figure out where the things go. But before this movie was made, they had no idea why or where everything was going, which is just yeah. kind of creepy. Kind of reminds me of very, Buffy very the Vampire Slayer and Sunnydale being like the hell mouth, you know? Yeah. Um, so that's why all these weird things are happening there, which so it sets the perfect setting for this movie. Yeah, and and it is really I, I love this. Um, so we uh, we're introduced to Jennifer, who is Needy's best friend since uh, childhood. She's the flag captain, mm-hmm. and I thought it was interesting because I will say one thing about the soundtrack. Um, so when you're seeing Jennifer and Needy connect with each other, and uh, Needy's like sandbox love never dies, the lyrics to the song is like "You're the girl I've been dreaming of since I was a little girl," and I thought that was like <laughs> a very interesting choice. Um, because she's waving, yeah. and she has, like, this kind of goofy, like, far-off look on her face, and her the girl behind her is like, you're totally lesbos, and she's like, no, I'm not, yeah. she's my best friend. Yeah. I will say this movie, the one con I have about it is I feel like people may not get that this is definitely satirical, yes. and the writers are definitely aware that they're writing in an inappropriate fashion, but it is how teenagers talked in this time period and it's supposed to be satirical so like there's a lot of like saying things that we wouldn't say today but one it was 2009 and two like they're making a point that teenagers are like this they are judgmental they do say things but they're also speaking the truth because like i I think needy does have feelings for jennifer and jennifer does have feelings for needy but i don't think they have enough feelings for each other to actually want to be in a romantic relationship with each other but they are a tr- they, they have a bond well, they're also and in a small it borders town on a, yeah and they're yes and well i don't know if it's so much with that because i don't think jennifer would care honestly i think she would think people thought she was hot but i also don't think jennifer one would ever settle for one person because that's kind of her thing and two i don't think she would ever put her relationship with needy in jeopardy because whenever you enter into a romantic relationship with a friend there's always a chance that it doesn't work out and then you don't have your friend and she's very insecure and needy is the one constant in her life so yeah. i find it like they really do care about each other there is some sexual chemistry there but i i don't know if they're i wouldn't say they're in love with each other i think it's more of feelings but they prefer to remain friends at least at the beginning yeah, and see, I think 
I think growing up in a small town, and I I graduated high school in 2008, so this movie came out when I was a freshman in college, but I was still very close to high school Mm -hmm. um, when I saw this movie. I remember um, growing up in a very small town and knowing how people in small towns can be very judgmental. Um, And yeah, I'll be honest, I honestly didn't know people, gay people, until I was at college. Um, And the one or two Hmm. gay kids that were out at my high school were constantly getting bullied. Um, which is awful to say, but that was the truth of being a teenager in 2008. And I'm so glad uh, we are changing now. Um, but I, yeah. I mean, when you think about things like that, like, you know, and Needy, I think personally, Needy, and there's a few moments in this movie where I think you can tell where maybe Needy has more of those feelings, but she does push him down. And I think part of it, she, yeah. it's, it's awkward because she is in love with Chip. Her, her boyfriend. Yes. But I think she doesn't know how to handle the love she has for Jennifer because she doesn't really understand it as romantic love either. And I think it's also when you're a teenager, feelings are very confusing and attraction is very confusing. Yes. And you don't really know, am I feeling, it's almost like the conversation we had about what Henri and Franck, their kind of relationship about being excited to see somebody and almost having, like, you know, getting lightheaded, seeing someone, yeah. but not actually being sexually attracted to them. I think a lot of this movie is an exploration of burgeoning sexuality. Not sexuality that's defined, but yeah. people, when they're in puberty, I mean, there's a lot of puberty references. Very ginger snaps um, with, like, how Jennifer transforms. <laughs> um, but... Um, I think it's more about people exploring their sexuality and less about defining their sexuality. Agreed. And I think that's one of the good things about this movie is they're not like, oh, Needy's a lesbian or she's straight. They're just like, she is what she is and she doesn't even know yet because she's a teenager. Yeah. That's why, like, to me, when someone's a teenager, one, your brain's not fully developed. So you're going to make terrible decisions. Or, like, you're, you're going to go through phases, and some phases are going to stick, and it's going to become part of who you are, and some aren't. So, whether your kid thinks they might be transgender, or thinks they might be gay, or thinks they're straight, or whatever, I think as long as they're being safe and open with you, let them explore that. Because if they do explore it, then they'll figure out if they are or aren't, you know? Yeah. Maybe don't you know, do something permanent, you know, if you need to figure out if this is who you are, then you should have adolescence to figure that out. Well, I think we also need to add the layer to this with Jennifer Needy's relationship is it's also toxic. Yes, it is a toxic relationship. And I'm sorry, you go into more of that because I think you had more to say about it, but it is super toxic. No, you're good. And that actually brings us into the next scene because um, Jennifer talks Needy into going to show for a rock band called Low Shoulder. And she actually mentions to Needy, she's like, hey, wear something cute. And Needy even says, and Jennifer speak, that means I need to look good, but I can't upstage her. Like, I can't, I can show my stomach, but not my tits yeah. because that's her signature. And it's like, but mm-hmm. I've been there. I've been in female friendships, um, and you don't recognize mm-hmm. it in high school because high school there is such a there's such a code for everything when you're a high schooler, and it's kind of interesting going back and watching movies like Jennifer's Body or Mean Girls because you're like I I I know what it's like. I've been there where it, you have yeah. a friend that maybe you just can't. They may be more beautiful than you, but you literally cannot do anything that would risk upstaging them because that's who they are. Mm-hmm. 
like I feel or like siblings. as yeah, our siblings. I feel as a woman, we've all mm-hmm. had those relationships, though. And we don't yeah. always realize them as toxic because a lot of the times it is people we A, grew up with, or B, they've been our friends forever. So. hmm Yeah. And you don't want to lose that friendship. Um, and I think that it's important that it's a friendship. I think some of us, like, I know I was in that for a romantic relationship where it got toxic. And I, you know, was like, but I've been in it for the long haul, so why give it up? You know, sometimes it's okay to walk away even when you've been in that relationship for a long time. I do think, I don't think we said it before, we are in spoilers, by the way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, just so Spoiler alert! Knows. I'll timestamp it. PT Dubs! I'll timestamp it. PT Dubs, this is on Hulu. Watch it if you haven't. Sorry. <laughs> yes. We haven't said anything too spoilery yet. Yeah. We've just really introed it. Um, but yeah, so they go to this bar. Um, there's this skeevy band. Um, they're wearing eyeliner, which no judgment to men who wear eyeliner, but especially in 2009, really the only men that wore eyeliner were like emo kids and like the lead singers of emo bands. Yeah. Like, and they're like an indie rock band. Their name is Low Shoulder and Adam Brody is their lead singer. However, Adam Brody didn't do his own vocals for this movie, which you can kind of tell one of the other band members did his vocals because apparently he's not a great singer. Um... And they start um, flirting with Jennifer. Jennifer and um, Needy. Oh, by the way, Needy completely um, breaks plans with Chip just to hang out with Jennifer. That's how much she controls her life. And he's like, you know, she's kind of controlling. He's not telling her she needs to never see Jennifer again, but Chip's just like, you know, he's a nice guy. He's a drummer. Uh, He knows who Phil Collins is and Needy has no idea, which I thought that was a funny line. Um, very Gilmore Girls. There's a lot of pop culture references where, like, they're just, like, throwaway little lines that are just really funny in this movie. Um, like, PMS is a myth. And I'm like, oh, no, it's not. But okay. Um, but uh, Chip doesn't go with them. They go by themselves. Uh, they run into Chris Pratt's character, who's, like, a police cadet. And he's, like, he's he obviously is having a relationship with Jennifer. And oh. Jennifer's like, oh, he's such a skis. By, uh, by the way, something I have to point out, really dis- disturbing to me in the script, but it does happen in small towns. Jennifer and Edie are 16. Uh, Roma is 22. Mm-hmm. 22. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, Jennifer has inappropriate relationships with adult men. Um, which is really the adult men's fault, because Jennifer is a fucking child. And, um, she goes and flirts with the band. And I think it's interesting. She does say a really funny line where she's just like, you know, what does she say? Oh, men are just morsels. We have all the power. And, you know, if you just use your boobs, you can control all the men, basically. Um, and she, but then she kind of acts like an innocent little lamb and gets like kind of embarrassed and shy when she gets up to the band. Which I find, I'm like, is she manipulating them? Or is she actually, like, starstruck? I found it interesting. Because she's I think like, she hey. is. I think she is a little starstruck. Yeah, because she mentions there's no other guys like them in town. She's like, they're all fashionable and shit. So it's like, yeah. nothing she's ever seen before, essentially. Yeah, and so she goes and she goes and gets these shots. Um, which, the nine tribute shots. <laughs> They're 9-11 tribute shots. And I was like, did, did bars have that? I mean, I didn't drink in 2000. Well, no, I did. But, like, not that often. I just thought that was funny. 
Maybe the the script was written in earlier than 2009, though. Yeah. Um, but she's like, they're red, white, and blue, but you have to drink them right away or else they turn brown. <laughs> I was like, oh, of course. Um, but she goes to get the shots, and Needy's, like, playing pinball. And um, she overhears the guys, like, hey, um, what about her? I bet she's a virgin. And one of the guys is like, nah, that girl's not a virgin. And Adam Brody's character, Nikolai, is like, nah, 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 she's definitely a virgin. And, um... Uh, Needy is thinking like, oh, they're only going to want her if she's not a virgin. You know, they're not going to take advantage of her if they think she's a virgin because they want someone experienced. So she goes up and she's like, yeah, you know what? She's my best friend and she absolutely is a virgin. And it's the wrong thing to say. Not that Needy knows that. Um, But she inadvertently kind of is putting Jennifer, setting her up for danger. And she doesn't know that. Um, And what happens is the band starts playing and Jennifer and the rest of the crowd, other than Needy, are almost in, like, a trance um, as the band is playing. And you notice, like, flames going up on the side really slowly. And and all of a sudden, like, the bar is just engulfed in a fire. And Needy and Jennifer and the band are able to get out, but not a lot of people can get out. And it's really kind of scary. Yeah. And as they run out into the parking lot... And this um, is, I wanted the to say. The band comes over. I wanted to say this oh, real yeah. quick. No, I'm so sorry. So this is the first, like, indicator in the script, though, because it's after they get out of the bathroom through the window, it says Needy hugs her fiercely, almost romantically. So that was the first little tinge of, like, okay. But, yeah, you go on. Because they do, uh, Nicola, who is fucking evil, um, does greet them yeah. in the parking lot. Yeah. Nikolai does, like, a creepy, like, almost like Buffalo Bill getting you into the back of his van kind of thing where he's just like, oh my god, I'm so glad we made it. Oh, let's go in the van. But he doesn't take Needy, he only takes Jennifer. Yeah. And Needy tries to get her to not go, and Jennifer is like literally in shock. And so she goes with them. And it's kind of the last time we see Jennifer as kind of an innocent person um, until we see like what actually happens. But we don't really know what happens to Jennifer except that she gets in the van and Needy in her internal monologue is like, I know that something bad was going to happen. So Jennifer disappears only to reappear at Needy's house while she's on the phone with Chip telling him what's going on. And she is covered in blood and she looks like hell and she vomits up this black goo and gets really close to Needy. And it's like, are you scared? And then she just runs off and Needy is like freak the fuck out. She also and fucking she- screams at her like a banshee. Yes, yeah. she does that as too. She starts like making animalistic noises. It's very creepy. And it's actually this part's probably the scariest. I think when when you see Jennifer in her post feeding, um, she's probably the scariest because there is some CGI that's not great in this movie, um, which is kind of funny nowadays. Maybe mm-hmm. it was scary back then, um, but I think it's scary when they don't have CGI and she's just acting really creepy. And there's just like some animalistic noises. It's like what the fuck's going on. Um, so, basically, uh, Needy is, like, catatonic at school, and everyone's talking about how they lost all these students, and uh, J.K. Simmons, who's playing their teacher, um, is, like, really upset. I love, too, J.K. Simmons is almost unrecognizable, because he has this big wig on, and he has, like, a a metal claw hand replacement, like, a prosthetic, and it's, like, they never explain it, either at all there's no explanation (laughs) it's just like okay 
Um, I feel like it would have fit better if he was like the woodshop teacher, because that would have made a little more sense, because he probably like had a woodshop accident, but I don't know. Um, and he's like really upset. And Jennifer shows up to class like like spring shiny, like spring shiny, like fresh spring. Like she's just like has a spring in her step and she's just like, hey, and Needy's like, are you okay? She's like, of course I am. And she's like, but last night she's like, Needy, you need to talk to somebody. So automatically gaslighting, manipulating her. Yeah. And she's like, that's really fucking weird. Um, And Jennifer gets the quarterback, Jonas, alone in the woods and um, starts making out with him. And he's really upset because his best friend died in the fire. And she's like, you know, the last thing he said to me was that we would make a banging couple. He said, and he's he, like, he said banging? He said banging? And she's <laughs> like, um, what did she say? Like, shushies or something like that. She was like, shushies. And just quiets him and just starts making out with him. And there's all these, like, animals slowly gathering as they're making out. And then all of a sudden she just, like, grows a demon face and just rips him apart. And the poor, the teacher hears him screaming a great part of like dark comedy and it's like let it out kids let your let your your sadness out but then he eventually finds the body and he's just horrified and it's interesting because so everyone's really depressed about the fire and jonas being seemingly murdered in the woods and um the band has perpetuated this rumor that they saved a bunch of people at the fire which they did not and so the band song through the trees keeps playing and need is just like, Oh my God, fucking stop the song. This is probably my favorite joke in the whole movie. It's like, it just keeps popping up at the most inopportune moments. And I love it. Um, and Taylor, I love Taylor's. Oh, I was about to say, I love Taylor's commentary on through the trees. Cause he's like, this is a fucking awful song. I was like, it's satire. It's supposed to be awful. Cause it's like it's a, a rock it's ballad. A point. Yeah. It's, it's fucking a rock hilarious. Ballad. But Taylor is like, I, this song sucks. Like, cause it was Taylor's first time watching the movie. Yes. So now I keep thinking and of like, Taylor every time I hear it. <laughs> um, yeah, and like Jennifer's like thriving while everyone else is just so depressed. And Jennifer's just like, I love life. And this is post, she takes that naked swim in the lake, or she wasn't really naked, but she takes the naked swim in the lake, and she's just feeling like fucking amazing. She just feels great. Um, and she calls an idiot at one point and is like, I'm a god. And Needy's, like, not really listening to her. And it's, like, one of the best scenes because while she's on the phone with Needy, Needy has call waiting. And it's Chip telling her that Jonas has been discovered dead. And she just takes a lighter and burns her tongue. And then her tongue just goes back to normal. She's like, oh, my God, I'm a god. And it's really funny. Um, but then about a month later, Jennifer's starting to look really run down. And surprisingly, she just asks Needy's friend, um... Colin, who's like the emo kid, um, to uh, out on a date. She's like, "Oh, were you gonna ask me out?" And he's like, "What? Well, uh, 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 okay." And Needy's like, uh, she tells Chip, "Like, oh yeah, we're friends just because like we're in creative writing class together, but there, there's nothing more than friendship with them." Um, so Needy and and Chip have been getting closer to being completely uh, intimate with one another. Um, and there's this really interesting scene, um, back to back where Needy and Chip are kind of like preparing to have their first time. I think, I believe this is supposed to be the first time they have sex. I felt like it was too. It's never explicitly said, but it feels like it is. 
It feels like they've been working up to it too, because he's like, I'm gonna I went and bought some more condoms at Target. So obviously they've been doing stuff, but I don't think they've actually had sex because while they're having sex, she's like, Okay, go ahead and put it in. It's kind of like would you yeah. say that if you'd been having sex with someone? Probably not. Um, but it's very sweet. Like he like gets scented candles from his mom and like it's it's sweet. It's a sweet like high school first time they're responsible. And they, they don't really, like, sugarcoat it. It's not, like, the best. But he gets, like, condoms that are good for her and stuff. And it's cute. But then on the other side, this is, okay, this part made me laugh. Because Colin is listening to a punk version of I Can See Clearly Now the Rain Has Gone. And I, I can't remember what band sings this. But there's another punk rock version of the church song Here I Am, Lord. And my mom absolutely loves it because our friend Katie put it on a CD that we used to listen to in the car with different, like, it had, like, like Yellow Card and uh, My Constantine by Something Corporate and, about, like, those kinds of bands. And then it had this this version of Here I Am, Lord. And in the middle of the song, the guy just screams, Happy Birthday, Baby Jesus! And then they just keep singing it. It's great. But my mom, like, dies laughing every time she hears that version of Here I Am, Lord. And it's a song they sing a lot at Catholic Church. At least the Catholic churches I've gone to. So every time it comes on for years, my mom would just be like, Happy birthday, baby Jesus! Which is not a lyric in the song. The guy just added it. Anyways, very similar to that. And he's just like, I can see clearly now the rain is gone. He's wearing a tie. And he's, like, driving up to these abandoned houses. And he's, like, like, he gets it, but he still goes into the house. And when Jennifer pops up, he's like, this isn't your house, is it? She's like, no, but we can play mommy and daddy. And she starts, like, you know, seducing him. And then as she's devouring him physically, uh, Needy and um, Chip are having sex. And um, Needy starts to see what's going on with Jennifer and starts to see her killing uh colin and she freaks out but like chip thinks that she's having just a really good time sexually because she's screaming he's just like oh my god am i that good it's great it's really funny it's cute and i think they show enough without being like overly sexual with them too which is what i like is like they're honest about it but they're not like it's not like everybody's naked like i don't even think you see amanda seafried's no like chest at all i don't think you Mm -hmm. see anybody naked um, which, let's face it, if you were teenagers and you were trying to have sex at your parents' house, you probably would stay under the covers just in case they come in. So you'd just be like, oh, we're just taking a nap. Right? I don't know. I never really tried to do that at my parents' house because I was a loser in high school. So, who knows? Yeah. But anyways, um, Needy gets so freaked out, she, like, runs away from Chip's house and drives away. And Jennifer runs into her again and leaps on her mom's, was it a Nissan, I think? Needy finally gets home, and um, Jennifer's just there waiting for her. And this is when they have their, like, make-out scene. And it's like, obviously Jennifer's trying to both... I think she's... I think I think what I get from this scene after watching it several times is she's, A, trying to distract Needy from the fact that she just saw her look like she just ate somebody alive, because she did. B, I think there is attraction there. But see, I think she's also, like, part of, like, her feed is that she's almost, like, energized. And probably there's a sexual, like, she's turned on. And so, like, it wouldn't matter if it was Chip there 
or needy, she'd probably still like, you know what I mean? Like sometimes yeah. people are just like, I'm just so energized. I want to do this thing. Um, I don't know. And that's kind of what I felt. Like I felt like it was more of a distraction tactic then. But I see, I could think with Jennifer, absolutely. But I felt like there was more coming off of needy <laughs> and that's Oh, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. Which yeah. is why needy at first is cool with it. And then she breaks it off and goes, what the fuck is going on? Because like, Jennifer doesn't say anything. She starts making out with her because she needs an explanation, which is why Needy, you know, is the, you know, calmer person. And Jennifer tells her what happened. And it's really, it's actually like a really, really sad kind of scene. So basically Jennifer finally comes clean. She's like, yeah, BFFs don't have secrets. And she tells Needy what happened. Do you want to go over this? Yeah, Part, um, this is actually it's pretty very awful. Tra- it's very traumatizing, and I mm-hmm. it's not good. I think a lot of people, and that will go into this too. But she, it shows what happens. She gets in the van, and she looks around, and there's multiple but men. They're the whole band. They're pretty much staring at her, except Nikolai who's driving. She's like, "Are you guys rapists?" And in the script, he goes, "You wish," but in the movie, he says. I hate girls. Like, oh, man, I hate girls. And so um, he, one of the other guys are like, hey, are you sure she's a virgin? And it's like, it's, you see this glimmer of hope in her face that like, oh, well, maybe if I tell them I'm a virgin, they'll let me go. And she's like, yes, yes, I'm a virgin. I don't, I don't know how to do anything. And that's like, like, I don't know how to do sex. Yeah. It's it's very, it's, it's funny, but it's also like terrifying because it's one of those situations where. You're in such a dire situation. You will say anything to get out of it. Yeah, and I will because say... Because never go uh, to their secondary location with anyone. That is yeah, rule number and, one. And what I, I do... I will say about this, the, the film, it does tone down some of the elements of the script, which, thank God, because both versions are brutal. Um, but they end up... She tries to get away. She fails. And they tie her down. And they are... He's like, you know, we're... Um, he essentially like his bandmate is like are you sure we should do this and he's like look do you want to work at the coffee shop forever or do you want to be like the guy from room five and he's like basically we're going to sacrifice you and she's pleading and she's crying and he has this bowie knife and it's interesting the script they sung Starman, um and they also he goes um we're about to sacrifice the body of this chick from devil's kettle and she's like my name's jennifer and so they don't even know her name yeah. And they're about to butcher yeah. her. Yeah, it's really, really upsetting. And I think a lot of people also saw this scene. Uh, because in the script also, um, he he beats her. So it's not like they just stab her, which is already bad enough. They beat and they stab her. Um, and this is definitely, like, very strong assault. And a lot of people saw this scene mm-hmm. as sexual assault. And the aftermath is the trauma that Jennifer... People he'll handle trauma different ways, but... Jennifer's mm-hmm. trauma is to essentially lash out at men because men were the ones that abused her. Right. Yeah. And so Which it's why awful. she's only going after boys. Yeah. And I think that's something else that's like as watching this as a as a older teenager and watching this as a person now in their 30s, it really like physically hurt me. I think watching this, I got a very different feeling yeah. from because in the the first time I watched this, I understood like this was the catalyst for everything that happened. But mm-hmm. as a grown woman, it just broke my heart thinking the way she was abused too. It also reminds me a lot, which I hope not. I mean, okay, here's the thing: as women, 
I know in in my experience, and I'm sure in a lot of people's experience as things come out with the Me Too movement and things like that, unfortunately, almost all of us have either been sexually assaulted or had an attempted sexual assault or someone close to you has. Yeah. And, and I'm sure... Again, I always say this. I'm sure men do too, but it seems like men don't come forward as much. But I do remember I have had friends who were sexually assaulted and they didn't tell everybody right away. And when they finally told me, it was like, I don't know how to explain how much blind rage I felt and how helpless I felt as a friend that I couldn't have protected my friend from a situation that they didn't do anything to deserve. And, um, yeah, it's, I think a lot of women have kept sexual assault to themselves, um, because of shame, because of guilt, unnecessary and because of societal pressures and because they don't think they're going to be believed and we've already talked about this, but that also reminds me, like, the fact that she waits, like, months to tell her best friend, like, what happened to her. And even though, again, this is a assault, but not a sexual assault, um, I think it is definitely symbolic because it does happen so often that a rape victim will wait to tell people. And then, yeah. like, there's a statute of limitations that goes in. It's really, I don't want to go all into it, but I know, like, personally... And I didn't tell, again, like, I've never been actively sexually assaulted. I don't know how to say it. But I did have someone attempt to sexually assault me in college. And I did not, I don't think I told anyone for a while. Because I just, I always convinced myself it was mixed signals and they weren't actually trying to assault me. But as I thought about it. And thought about how I was physically pushing them off of me and saying no. I was like, yeah. Yeah, that was sexual. So that was attempted. That, like, if someone tries to push you off. So, like, and, yeah. So, anyways, I find that's a big symbolic thing as well. Yeah. Well, you even see Needy's face afterwards. Needy is, like, her face is just, like, her mouth is open. Tears are in her eyes. And she's like, "They, they killed you. They murdered you. And Jennifer's like, no, they didn't. I'm still here, aren't I? And it's almost like also the horror Mm -hmm. of listening to someone describe something and you know what it means. And then them trying to be like, it's not, it's a big deal, but it's not that big of a deal. Yeah. I mean, we've all, I think a lot of us have been that person too, where you, you just don't want to make people feel as bad as you feel, but you want to tell them, but you're also like, you almost apologize or talk it down. So it's not as big of a deal. I know I've done that. Like, whenever, like, I'm sad, people are always like, are you okay? And I'm always like, I'm okay. Because it's like, what else are you supposed to tell people? No, yeah. I'm not okay. Like, I can tell some people that. But, like, unless we have time to get into it, we don't need to talk about whether or not I'm okay. I'm okay, yeah. and I will make it through life. Um, but the thing is, if you don't, if you don't confront your trauma and talk to somebody about it, whether it's a friend or a parent or a partner, um... It will go unresolved. You need to talk about that. And I think that's another thing about Jennifer. She's internalizing her trauma and not, you know, 
talking about it. Also, Needy goes, because she figures out, because Jennifer says, ooh, when I'm full, look, I'm almost immortal. And she cuts herself in front of Needy and heals immediately. And Needy's like, what do you mean full? And she kind of puts it together that all these boys are dying right after Jennifer looks like shit. Also, there's a whole thing where she does it monthly. So it's like a, it's a opposite of menstruation because she has to consume blood instead of bleeding. Yeah. To become who she is. But she always looks really raggedy at the end of the month. Like PMS, which apparently is a myth compared, uh, uh, according to Jennifer. Um, but Needy is not okay with her best friend eating boys, and she goes to the occult section, which I didn't even know school library had an occult section, but I went to and Catholic Chip school, so we probably thing. didn't have one. <laughs> yeah. He's like, what? Yeah. Um, she goes to the occult section, and she finds that Jennifer is most likely the victim of something called demonic transference, and is kind of, they don't really go all out, but she's basically functionally a succubus, which is, uh, I think, generally female paranormal being um, or supernatural being. I don't know. There's been TV shows about succubi and basically they lure people in with sexual promises and they kind of devour them and like almost like a siren too. Yeah. They kind of have to consume a soul or your life essence. or I don't know. It depends on what, what TV show you're watching. I think but it's a, yeah, it, she has to it's a lot more sexual. So it's like they they steal a mm-hmm. man's life essence if you get my drift. Usually, so, yes, yeah. So she and she tries to tell Chip this, and he's like, "Nee, I'm not trying to be." I think she's like, "I'm not trying to be a dick, but uh, I think you should go talk to the counselor." And he's like, "But I bought our formal tickets." And Needy's like, "You can't go to formal. We can't go to formal." Because she knows that that'll be when Jennifer feeds next, and that Jennifer is going to be a buffet for her. She can choose anybody, and she's like, you don't need to go there. Let her eat somebody else. And he and Needy kind of like, it's weird, because like, they love each other. And yeah, it's high school love, but they do love each other. And he and she both get dressed in their matching outfits, but they go to formal separately, and you can tell that Chip wants to make up. Yeah. And so does Needy. They love each other, but she's just like, I need to protect him. And that's why she's still going to formal. She doesn't really care about formal. But she's also weighed down by the fact that she knows the only way to kill the demon or succubus that's possessed Jennifer and made her really evil, not high school evil, like she says in the movie, is to kill her. Yeah. And she's not happy about that because she doesn't want to kill her best friend. And this um, is where so, we have the scene. It's a very bit scene, but it's very loaded. It's that you see Jennifer getting ready for the formal and mm-hmm. she's just putting on her makeup and she's crying and she's just smearing it all over and, her face. And there's a picture of her looking perfect looking back at her like yeah. that she has on her vanity but she's looking herself in the mirror next to it and she just looks ragged and she's crying and it's like this is what i have to be and this is what i'm doing it for so i can be this um and basically they um confront each other jennifer manipulates chip while he's walking across the field towards the formal she stops him and he's like oh hey and she tells him, she, and she does such a good job of being manipulative because she, like, starts telling him, she's like, 
the reason Needy's so upset ever since um, Colin died is, and then she's like, I don't want to tell you. I don't want to say this. And I'm like, oh, my God, everyone has said that when, like, your friend wants to break up with their seventh grade boyfriend and they sent you to do it. And you're like, I don't want to say this. I don't want to hurt your face, but I have to. It was like that kind of thing. She's like, they were intimate. And like, I love I love Megan Fox's performance because she always starts like saying something normal like that an adult would say. And then she keeps going and she's like, and by intimate, I mean they were porking on a regular basis. And like, she just keeps making it worse and worse. And so she starts making out with Chip. And at first he's making out with her too. And he's just, because he's just really hurt. And then she takes him to, like, this abandoned pool, and then all of a sudden, um, he kind of is like, you know what, I can't do this. I can't do this. Because I think he knows, like, Needy probably didn't actually make out with him. <gasps> oh, hi, Riley. Yeah. Riley's crying, too. Um, he's really upset, because this is a really upsetting scene. And um, basically, when he starts trying to get away from Jennifer, who also is trying to, like, tell chip to tell her that oh i'm so much better than needy aren't i i'm so much prettier than needy right he's like what the fuck are you talking about because she's so insecure about yeah. herself and um she's competitive with needy even though needy's not competitive with her um that when he doesn't want to do what she does she just attacks him and needy which in the beginning of the movie there's kind of a foreshadowing that um needy's talking with chip and she like instinctively knows when jennifer arrives because like she just knows her that well she's like oh jennifer's here he's like that's freaky but she like kind of senses where they are and then finds the boutonniere that he had bought for her and runs and jennifer's already feeding on him but he's not quite dead yet so she attacks jennifer and they kind of fight, and um, they, they're just, like, throwing insults at each other. And it's it's a really great scene because Needy calls her out on all the bullshit she's been putting her through. Like, you've been such a shitty friend, and you're so insecure, and you used to steal my toys. And then Jennifer's like, and now I'm eating your boyfriend. At least I'm consistent. And it's just, like, all the problems in the relationship come to a surface, and they're fighting and finally, they um, Chip helps when when you think that Needy's gonna get defeated. Chip takes the pool s- scooper and stabs it through Jennifer's stomach, and then she's like, "Do you have a tampon?" And it's I don't know. It was very funny. I love uh, my sad. favorite my favorite line line in that scene is too is like she can fly. She's just levitating. It's not that impressive. Do you have to undermine yes. every single thing I do? <laughs> like. I know, and it's just like, you know, sometimes we have these moments where I've had one with a sibling where, like, all the things that have been simmering under the surface come out, and you're just like, well, you do this, and you do this, even if you love that person. Yeah. You know, if you've been putting... That's why, like, I think now, as I get older, I'm more blunt with people and more upfront with people, because I'm just like, I don't want to have things simmering under the surface in relationships. I want to talk about things and get them out of the way, and continue to be friends with people, because it's just not worth it to, like, have things simmering under the surface. But when you're young, you do. You let it happen. Um, And sometimes when you get older, you let it happen. Um, But it's actually healthy to talk about those things. But this is, it's why it's a toxic relationship, because they've never talked about the inequality in their relationship. And now it's coming out to head. 
and, you know, killing people. So um, Jennifer kind of skulks off. She's not quite dead, but she skulks away. And Chip, unfortunately, is succumbing to his wounds. And it's so sad because, like, Nene and him are like, I love you. I love you, too. And he's like, you look really hot in that dress. And she's wearing, like, a really dorky, like, Deb from Napoleon Dynamite kind of dress. I don't know why they dressed her in that dress. I thought that was a weird choice. But whatevs. Or maybe maybe it's saying because she wasn't going to go to formal. She borrowed maybe her mom's 80s prom dress or something. Because it just seemed really... Everyone else is in normal prom dresses. And she's just in this, like, 80s prom dress. And I thought that was strange. Um... But he's like, you look really awesome in that dress. And she's like, oh, you're crazy. And he's like, no, I'm not. And then he just dies. And it's it's really sad. It's yeah. it's really quite sad. Because they genuinely cared about each other. And that's when we go back to the opening scene of Needy kind of spying on Jennifer. As she's watching the Gazelle Guy uh, infomercial. Which, if you aren't a child of the late 90s early 2000s you might not know what that is but it was like an exercise machine and this guy in a ponytail would always be advertising it late at night and she attacks jennifer in a room and they have an all-out girl fight on her bed and i love that the final like countdown is like the final countdown (laughs) the final moment is to distract jennifer And out of, I think, hurt and anger for the fact that she killed her fucking boyfriend, um, Needy rips her best friend's forever necklace off and then stabs her through the tit, which is what Jennifer says. She's like, oh, my tit. And then Needy goes, no, your heart. And then, like, she kind of realizes what she just had to do. And then Jennifer's mom comes in. And it's really sad because Jennifer's mom is genuinely sad and jennifer's not a succubus anymore so she's just is her dead friend and it's just really fucking sad and she just realizes like i lost my boyfriend i've lost my best friend and now i've lost my freedom so you go back to um needy in the asylum and now or uh, asylum i guess it's a, a institution med- a facility institution facility that's a better word institution and do you want to take over to what the ending is? Because I love the ending. It's so yeah, good. It is. So she um, she talks about, you know, um, you see a food, a tray being slipped out. And she looks down at it and she talks about, she's like, a lot of occultists don't know this. But if you survive being bit by a demon, you actually source some of that demon's powers. And you see she's levitating. And she's like, yeah. you know, get lucky. In bunny once, slippers. Yeah, you know, get lucky for once in your miserable life. So she levitates, literally uh-huh. kicks out the window. Uh, because she's pretty much has fucking demon in her now, she rips the fence open. So there's like a needy-shaped yeah. hole in the fence. And she hitches <laughs> a ride. And the guy's like, where are you going? She's like, oh, to see this band. He's like, it must be one hell of a band. She's like, yeah, it's going to be their final show. And you see the low shoulder, <laughs> like, radio, like the, the sign. And the credits to the movie are actually, you see low shoulder playing. But then they're in their hotel room and they're like snorting coke and stuff. And then you hear someone knock on the door. And then the next part is crime scene photos where they've all been murdered. Yeah. But they've the cherry on top is the dagger is in Nicolas heart because she picks up the dagger that was murdered that murdered Jennifer with, and just she stabs finds him it heart. downstream. Yeah. yeah, which actually is what happens with that. By the way, Devil's Kettle actually does spit things up downstream. So they predicted. It. I'm sure people had that theory, though, back then. 
Yeah. It's like, it's not really going to disappear, y'all. But yeah, which I find that interesting. Yeah, it's great. It's great. And the last scene is like Adam Brody's character with like the Bowie knife stuck in his chest. And uh, yeah, uh, I think it's great. I think it's great. It is like, it's kind of a rape revenge movie, even though there's not an actual physical rape. Yeah. Um, but I would call this almost like a rape revenge movie because like, it's this more symbolic one though. Than something like I Spit on Your Grave or Last House on the Left, um, which is <laughs> very literal. Um, what Was there anything, like, I think we, we mentioned, like, the humor and the exploration of the, the friendships and relationships. Was there anything else that you loved about this movie that you want to point out? Um, I just loved it. I'll be honest. Uh, I thought it was interesting because I love the script for this. There's such a thing with Diablo Cody movies that, and you can see this in Juno and in Jennifer's body very clearly, where there's like beats to the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like very memorable. Yeah. So you probably heard me say a lot of direct quotes from this movie because it's like so easy to remember the dialogue yeah. in this movie. Very was... Gilmore Girls. Yeah. Yeah. There is a rhythm to it. Very Gilmore Girls. And I love um, it. Very smart. And I thought it was cool because, actually, so Diablo Cody wrote this script and Juno at the same time, um, around the exact same mm-hmm. time. And this script actually got shortlisted on some kind of um, list for the best scripts that weren't picked up in the year 2007. And then after the success of Juno, she was able to get the script um, made. So I thought it was funny that, like, the script is really enjoyable. And, and like, people, when they read mm-hmm. the script, really enjoyed the script. So, yeah. You know what I like about this movie, too, is they kind of explore toxic masculinity in a non-preachy way. Like, they're just kind of honest about it. And they're not saying every guy is toxic. Because, obviously, um, I don't think Colin honestly was. Colin seemed like a nice kid. And Chip, obviously, is, like, a great guy. So, like, but they do have these toxic guys. And, like, they also, like present like the false promise of virginity and judging women by their appearance and trying to fit them into these preconceived notions that I think at that time was pretty common in male culture. Um, I'm not a man, but like just from like having male friends, uh, like even like nowadays, like I've had male friends be like, like have the whole, like you don't need to wear makeup kind of thing thinking that that's like they're educated viewpoint but it's like actually like yeah i know and i know but there's this like preconceived notion about women and like i just find like they they hint on things but they're not hitting you over the head with it either which i i like like promising young woman did it a little more hitting you on the head definitely but it was also like a more heavy satire yeah and then it got really dark so but i would say this is almost like a precursor to promising young women woman and then of course there is like the soft pro pride message which i think is nice yeah is like it's not again not hitting you over the head with it but i think that's the best way to present different facts of life especially like i don't know what we want to call it like minority culture i don't want to call it that but you know like like lgbtq is has always been its own like subculture and i think accepting it as just a normal thing that you can talk about and sexuality being fluid as normal is just such a nice refreshing look and it's not hitting you over the head with either being overly supportive or judgmental it's just like this is life and this is human sexuality and it's fluid 
and we're not going to even like comment on it we're just going to present it and i like that because yeah it's, it's just like a nice way i don't know if i'm saying that correctly but you know i get what you're saying i like though. that it's yeah i hope but I, I don't think i'm saying it very articulately but thank you yes yeah so i think this one's just like a modern kind of retelling and it's just funny it's a funny movie it is. it's very buffy the vampire slayer um evil dead a lot of stuff um, and Ginger Snaps. And she said it was kind of like a Lost Boys starring women is what Diablo Cody kind of thought of it originally. Um, because that is like, there is like a best friend dynamic and a brother dynamic. Where like, I can't, was it the brother or the best friend that becomes it, a vampire It was, the, it was two brothers. Because remember it was the older brother and the younger brother. And younger brothers reading like comics yeah. and stuff about vampires. Yep. So, like, she's like, it was kind of like this, but this, they're best friends. But, yeah, I think the only cons about this movie is the CGI is kind of eh. But, again, it was 2009. Uh, but, again, it's kind of a campy movie. So, I don't, it doesn't, like, it's not ill-fitting that it's kind of campy CGI. And I think if you don't know it's satirical, you might get a little offended by the non-PC language. Especially from Jennifer. Because she says things that, like, even I, fi- I find a little offensive. But, like, yeah. I, as the, you know, quote-unquote popular girl, the hot girl at school, that's kind of how people talked back then. Yeah, it's and true. It if was insensitive. Was, unless you grew up but, in that era, you don't realize how things were said sometimes. Yeah. Um, but that's the point this movie's trying to make, is that Jennifer is insecure and she's putting on this facade of like i don't fucking care i'm gonna say whatever the fuck i want because i'm the cool yep. girl but i mean it's because she's so insecure and i think you know that they're they know what they're doing and i think if you know that going in it i don't think you would be offended but i think maybe if you didn't know it was a satire or didn't grow up in that time period you might not understand it um which isn't the worst thing i just think it's something that should be pointed out um was there anything else you wanted to point out um, not really. It. I think we covered a lot okay. of really, really great stuff about this movie. Like I, like we said kind of at the beginning, um, I liked this movie when I first saw it. I'm not going to lie and be like, it was like my favorite movie. It's always been one of my favorite movies. But I did like it, and now I'm glad mm-hmm. that people have read deeper into this movie, and it is getting the recognition it's always deserved. That's a really awesome feeling. So I hate that I had to come yes. 10 years later, but... Um, I'm glad right. that maybe Amanda and Megan and Karen and Diablo can look back on something and be proud of it, even if they weren't initially yeah. proud of the outcome of everything that surrounded it. So, um, anyways, do you have a, a rating for this? I do. I'm going to have to give this a um, so have Grindhouse rating and then our our scale rating. I'm going to have to give this probably a I so I fell between somewhere between a seven point five and an eight and an eight, but um, I'm going to have to go with an eight. I think for this one. Okay, that's weird because I also gave it an eight. <laughs> I promise, I am not kidding. <laughs> but yeah, I gave it an eight out of ten. Like no question, I was like, I was like, I can't give it a nine or ten. It's not a parasite, but it, it for what it. It is. It knows exactly what it's doing. It is a satirical horror comedy, and it's a feminist classic now. It's like a cult classic, and it it fits it, and I think it does it really well. Did you have a Did you have a Grindhouse Girls rating for it? I did. I had two. Um, one is very basic. It's a B for best friends and betrayal. Um, then I had That's H, cute. which is hell is a teenage girl, um, which I love. So That's cute. 
Yeah. That's a, that's like the first line in the movie, um, which mm-hmm. I loved. Um, we are going to move on to next week's movie, which is Brit's pick. What's your pick? I already know, but Woo-hoo. tell us. So we are doing um, the 2019 um, movie, uh, The Vast of Night, which is on Amazon Prime. Um, I do not know a lot about this film other than it is set in the 1950s. And mm-hmm. two, it has some pretty damn stellar reviews. It's so, also, um, I'm um, pretty excited. It's also in New Mexico in the 50s, if that gives you a hint. Ooh. Yep. I don't know. Maybe only some people get what I'm referencing. But, um, yes, I have heard fabulous things about this movie. It's been on our list. Um, but I haven't seen it yet. I've kept myself in the dark about it because I thought we might do it. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited, too. So, yeah, that's our that's our next pick. So uh, please watch uh, The Vast of Night. Uh, again, it's on Amazon currently, and we're, we're excited. So, yeah. Yeah. Pretty cool. awesome so i guess we'll see you guys next week um be good be safe um get vaccinated i heard our state's like only a third of us are vaccinated but apparently it's everybody i know so yay which is good my friends yay i heard that today and i was like i guess i just know all the vaccinated people then because almost everyone in my friend group is vaccinated um, but get vaccinated. Uh, it's free. Please get vaccinated. Because I know somebody, we both know somebody who works at a pharmacy, and they are throwing out, like, 20 vaccines a day because people are not getting them. And that is a waste of free medicine that could do a lot of good. So please, please get vaccinated. Um, please take your vitamins and wash your hands. The pandemic's not over just because you feel like it's over. Uh, unfortunately, exactly. there's no new variant coming, and if you're not vaccinated come fall, it's probably not going to be fun. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Not going to be a good time. Definitely. Yeah, so guys, just stay safe. Um, if you're not vaccinated, please probably shouldn't be going to major group hangouts, like concerts or something, just yeah. saying. Um, so yeah, um, like Katie said, please wash your hands, take care of yourself, take your vitamins, um, get a little bit of sunshine. I'm kind oh, yeah. of, I'm, I'm very pale. I'm very pale. I can't be out in the sun for long periods of time without burning, but still just get a little vitamin D. It's good for you. Um, and reminder, uh, please take a hydration shot now. Shot, so, shot, yeah, Use shot. your water. I haven't drank my water during so, here. I had iced coffee. I was bad. Terrible. Oh no, you got to drink some water. I know. I'll drink. I'll drink some water when I go to bed. I always drink some like right Good. before I go to sleep. So I'm nice and hydrated. Also, you wake up faster because you oh, really have good. to pee. Yeah. Although sometimes it backfires and you wake up at like two in the morning, and then you're like, "Dang it!" And then you sleep in because you woke up in the middle of the night. But that's just me. That's my cross to bear. Yeah. Um, I feel that. I feel that. Be careful out there if you're traveling for the summer. Um, don't pick up hitchhikers. Don't get kidnapped. Know your surroundings. Carry your bear mace with you. And, um, you know, know where you're going. Because um, that is, like, uh, people are traveling again this summer. Like, be careful. Like, again. Like, I always forget about that in summer because, like, I don't really travel that often in the summer. I tend to take the summers to be kind of lazy. Um, I don't know why. I think because it's too hot. 
I don't want to go to the beach when it's 100 degrees outside. I want to go to the beach when it's like 80. So I usually go to the beach in like the spring or the fall because I just do not want to deal with the summer heat because I hate it. Now the pool I will go to. So if anybody has a pool, please let me come to your pool. Oh yeah, Brittany has a pool near her. We're, we're going to the pool yeah. this summer. Katie loves to swim. Woo! Even if we have to go like super early before all the children get there. Like, I love Sounds the pool. Good. So, um, yeah, but just stay safe out there and we love you guys. Thanks for listening. Thanks for liking. Thanks for subscribing. Thanks for sharing. Um, every like, subscribe, share that you share with us <laughs> um, really helps out the show and it helps out us. And we just appreciate you guys. Um, yeah, we love you guys so much and thank you for all your input and output and everything. We love you guys and be safe out there, guys. Yeah, well, thank you guys so much echoing on what Katie said. Uh, thank you again. We always appreciate you. Um, thank you for listening to our little podcast. Um, hopefully one day we'll be a big podcast and we'll remember you all and appreciate everything you ever done for us. Um, as always, guys, thank you. We love you and we look forward to seeing you at the same time. Same spoopy channel. Stay spoopy, y'all. Stay spoopy, y'all. <laughs> Have a good night. Good night. Bye, Bye. Katie. Bye. Love you guys. Bye, Bye Mabel. Bye, Riley. Bye. Bye. Bye, Gizmo. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye, guys. The Grindhouse Girls podcast is a production by Katie Dale and Brittany Ray and edited by Katie Dale. All music used is royalty-free and will be in our annotations. If you have any questions, comments, suggestions, please contact us at contact us at grindhousegirlspod.com or visit our website at grindhousegirlspod.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you soon.